Millennials are ruining the world An exennial perspective Hey everyone, welcome back to Millennials are ruining the world question mark An exennial perspective Real conversations bridging the gap between generations X and Y I'm not woke but I'm awake My guest today is an actress, singer, songwriter, regular writer, and health insurance agent her last time on stage before the pandemic was in Smokey Joe's Cafe in Irvington, New York. She is enjoying working from home, and her cats are enjoying it too. She is a proud recipient of the Pfizer vaccine and had minimal side effects, but she is disappointed to report that contrary to popular belief, getting vaccinated did not make her any more autistic than she already is. She is looking forward to the day when she no longer needs to wear a mask in public, but will continue wearing one anyway just to annoy anti-maskers. You can visit her website at ashleywool.com and check her music out on Spotify. Please welcome Ashley Wool. How's it going? It is going. Oh my God. I am so excited to be in person with you. Yes, and you're back in New York City after, after 15, 15 months. 15 months. Oh That's a Lord. long time. It was a long time. I can't imagine being away from the city for 15 days, let alone 15 months. I, you know, it... Has not, it changed? Has it changed? I, I was, you know, I know we just talked about me wearing a mask to piss people off, but I was like, we can, we're we're supposed to be able to wear one outside if we're fully vaccinated, and I was surprised to see how many people are still wearing masks, and it's like, why, though? Yeah, like, I, 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 I can feel understand. like it's time to take, to demask yourself once they said you, especially outside. Yeah, outside, like, like inside I understand. And, you know, being respectful of personal space, I understand. I am more than happy to wear a mask on the subway for the rest of my life because, ew, like, people don't need to breathe on me ever again. And on airplanes, too. And on airplanes, Yeah, sure. definitely. But, like, outside, it's a beautiful day. Like... It's a beautiful I, day. I want to feel all of... I want to feel all of the city disgustingness on my face. Like... <laughs> it looks really nice out. Maybe I'll go out later. No, and it's 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 so nice. Um, I had a great drive down. I saw a moose on my way down. I showed you the video of yes, it. Yes, moose and squirrel. No, just moose. No Where squirrel. was squirrel? I don't know. In the tree. They probably. go together. Moose and squirrel. Sure. In the Russian accent, which I can't do. Moose and squirrel. No, I really can't do Russian. It's mm. funny because I'm always in a hurry, but I can't do Russian. Ha 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 ha. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm here all day just for an hour. Good. Ah, well, it's good to see okay. you. It's great to have you back. It's nice. I'm so happy to be here. I could I cry. think I had five Literally. guests come in person this season, and it, it's uh, the the audio quality is better, so I'm sure the listeners appreciate it as well. Yeah, I love this microphone, like I said. Thank you. I feel like I should tell the people that I love this microphone. I, I think I got it for $25 on eBay because nice. it's used. It's a blue. It's yes. a blue. It's a snow something. Snowball? Yes, yeah. that's what it's called, snowball. Wow, I can't remember anything anymore. All right, uh, so the first question I asked all my guests, Ashley, is how did we meet? How so, did we meet? How did we meet? Yes. We met in late 2009. Did we? Yeah, because I was, my very first thing that I ever did in New York City was a showcase with Bobby Holder's company, and you were the music director at the time, and... Somebody sang the very first Seth song I ever heard, and this is hilarious to me that this was my intro to you. Was the one who's three? Oh, I love that song. And I was like, I love all my songs. This is so creepy, but it's funny, and I don't know why, but it works. And I was like, I need to, I need to get to know this this composer a little bit better. And then we, I don't know if we actually. That was the first my first introduction to your work, but I don't know if we actually met until like a few weeks later because i wasn't the singer that season adrian was the singer that season oh adrian and she sang the subway song yes you and have then, a great memory this is 12 years ago we're talking no is it no 2009, 2009? yes i can do Jeez. math i have i have no memory no, no, of 2009 but i can still do math thank just you crazy and then yeah and then my first actual showcase with you was this I remember specifically, April 6th of 2010. Got and it. I, that's 11 years ago. You have a great memory. I, you know, there was, that night was a very, like, special night because I had, like, ever since I was a little kid, like, 
I wanted to like sing in a New York City cabaret. I thought that was like the most glamorous thing in the world. It is. And I was just, I was like, oh my God, I'm like living my dream. And my mom came and she was the only guest that I had. And because I didn't like know anybody yet. And then we went to eat in the restaurant and it was just like a precious little night. And we had a good time, right? Memories. I mean, I don't particularly remember that showcase. <laughs> I've done 630-something now. Oh, my God. Is it that many? Yeah, it's a lot. I, yeah, I include point, the 44 virtual ones in the number. Because to me, it's yeah. not the venue. It's, it's the act of doing it and the working work. with the singers. Yeah. The virtual ones had more people than the regular, the regular live ones. More I, people? Yeah, more per singers show. Or I more... would do eight per show. In person, I do six per show, usually. Well, because there's a time limit, too. Yes. And I feel like if you're watching online, you can watch a little longer. and You can get, get up to pee whenever you want. And you can press pause. You can watch it on your phone so you can watch it while you're peeing. You can watch it while you're peeing on your <laughs> Just like the podcast, how many people are listening right, right now while they're peeing and pooping, do you think? Um, hmm. Probably none. But if know. you are, you you are special. Everybody you were, you were You were valid and you were loved. Yes. Please feel free to do whatever you want while you're listening to this podcast. No judgment here. Ashley <laughs> has nothing I'm, to say to that. I, no, I'm just trying to think of like things I would judge people for doing during this podcast. Probably things that, that I would judge them for doing in regular life. But, but it's okay. People we can can't do, see you. So people can do whatever fine. they want in the privacy of their own homes or the privacy as the British, as the British people would say, the privacy of the their own home is the Cockney. That's the, the, privi- yeah. the privacy of their own home. Yeah. All right. So uh, our topic today is um blah, 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 blah. our topic today is transparency culture. Actually, yeah. Uh, so what what is transparency culture, and why did you want to talk about it? Um, well, I will say for full disclosure, he, you had initially suggested cancel culture and I was like, but we can't call it that because I feel like it's such a polarizing phrase to use because that's why you call it that and you get people to listen. No, but see, I didn't want people to either think that we were going to be like two reactionary Republicans complaining about people being held accountable um, but then I also didn't want people to be like disappointed that that's where that's not what we were talking about. <laughs> right. So what are but we in the middle of the road? Really? Are we moderates now? Um, are, no, I think I think we have a reasonably healthy view of, you know, I, I don't think most people in general, like want to cancel anybody except for maybe you know donald trump right like he can he can be canceled i, I well I was, he has been i was hoping coronavirus would cancel him permanently yes school. that would have been nice but, but i think you know i don't know why people still talk about him at all i won't use his name no, like i won't well, i don't i don't really care well, like he's not in office anymore why do they ever report anything he does well, to me they should just stop well, I think it's important that he is held accountable in some capacity for his actions the way that the, that New York is holding him accountable yes, now. Yes, well, that's criminal actions. I, I will 100% say that if someone did something criminal, they should always be held accountable because that is the rule of law. Sure. I will go, I will unequivocally say this is why we have the law, this is why we have the courts, this is why we have judges and juries. And I personally wish there was a way to do that with with everything. And if it falls out of the legal system, then to me, people should be able to apologize and find some way back to not having themselves, quote unquote, canceled. Is that what you mean by transparency? Um, I think in in a certain way yes but of course as we know the law is not perfect the justice well, system that's is true. not perfect yeah and the court of the people is horrible well is it though is yes. it is it is it always horrible because or- people don't think for themselves and they read just the title of the article well they that's its own problem they don't click on the article 
and get the nuance. Let's say they don't get the 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 nuanced story. And there's, I feel like there needs to be due process. Whereas someone on Twitter says so and so is completely canceled. uh, There's not a lot of pushback because if you defend so and so, you get lumped in with so and so. So even though I would say probably ninety five percent of the people don't want so-and-so canceled, no one sticks up for them, and the 5% that does are very vocal, and that's what happens, because you don't want to be lumped in with someone who is defending so-and-so's behavior. But in my opinion, there's a huge spectrum of behavior, not to be confused with the Fios of behavior, because I have Fios now, not spectrum. I see what you did there. Thank you. And it's like, I, I think a lot of stuff gets conflated like, so for me, personally, the line is criminal. If yeah. you have done something criminal, that is, there's... But if you haven't done something criminal, to demean someone in public uh, without any prosecution or due process, I think that's the problem. Like, sometimes, maybe 50, 60% of the time, then yes, they would be convicted, but, but I think it happens more like 95% of the time, and that's a problem in my eyes. Well, I mean... If we had a perfect justice, I mean, obviously, what I when I when I say the People's Court, I'm you're not talking about the TV show. I'm talking about an informed People's Court. Well, there's no one who's informed. That's a big problem. I don't think there's no one who's informed. That's true. I think pe- I think people um, who think they're informed are just loud. Yes, that's very true. Good point. Informed people don't want to stir the pot, so they keep their opinions. Well, it's not even it's not even necessarily about not stirring the pot. It's about people are less likely to. It's like you said with like calling it cancel culture. Like people, people are more inclined to listen to polarizing things. Mm-hmm. People prefer black and white, right and wrong. People are g- generally not interested in nuances of a situation because if there isn't an easy right or wrong answer, then there isn't an easy side to choose. Right. And there I isn't agree. an easy way to like align like align yourself so that you can make yourself look a certain way. Like people people are more interested, I think generally, in how they look versus mm-hmm. what they know and what they understand. Like, they want to talk first and listen after. They want to react first and listen later. And, you know, it's not like they should never react to anything. Like, if someone says something horrible or, you know, even if it's not criminal, if they say something that's really harmful or they do something that's really harmful, they should be called out on it. But then it's their behavior from there that should determine the trajectory of, like, everything else. Well, it's all about the context, you know? And, like, people are human, and sometimes they talk. And, like, when you're talking, you can't always, you know, monitor what you're going to say. It just sometimes something slips out, or you just, you make a joke, and then it's like, okay, that joke went too far. And, you know, it's worse, I think, on the internet, because everything is on the internet forever. Forever. But, like, if you're talking in conversation and you're caught on mic and someone, they're like, oh, he said fuck. And you're like, well, he's a fucking human. Of course he says fuck. Or maybe he said something or she said something that is not popular. But maybe in that context, they meant it as a joke. Like, you don't know. Like, maybe they didn't. But, like, I I think... If you call someone out and they go, oh, I didn't mean it that way because here's my context, but I apologize, then they, they, they should be allowed to not be canceled. Well, I mean, like, what do you mean by canceled? Like, what does that actually mean? Because well, I, I don't see that I think it's like when you like... lose your job or people are no longer buying your books because of something you said on Twitter or they cancel your TV show or they pull you, uh, they no longer put you in the Mandalorian because if some, I don't even know what that controversy was, but it's like... She, oh, she was like a QAnon? Like, she was not somebody I would want to work with. Right, personally. but like, why should we be firing people based on this sort of thing? What should matter is, well, was the person good at their job? Is the writing good? Is the acting good? Are they okay to work with professionally? That is more important than they believe in aliens or well, whatever. You know, it's, it's interesting when you say, like, 
good to work with professionally because I think the types the type of person that you are in your off hours absolutely influences your professional behavior whether you are aware of it or not yeah but in and a the, professional context you've been trained to tamp down on yourself well it's like if i'm if i'm well, i'll actually give you a personal example oh, please i'm not going to i'm not going to i'm not going to name names cuz no, i don't, don't name i just any don't names. i don't feel like wading into that and it was just a whole mess and like people you know i care about are involved why don't we name names but they're not the names in your story Sydney, Molly, Miss Piggy, Bernadette. I'm just naming things I see. Amanda Pill. I'm naming things I see in my apartment. Cheetah Rivera. Uh, No. No. I've named some names for you. I don't want to name celebrities because then they'll think we're like talking about. Okay. Fozzie Bear. Yes. I named a lot of names so so you don't have to. So let's say. So I was working on um, a creative video project several years back um, with a good friend of mine uh, who I respect tremendously as an artist and as a human being um and there was someone we were collaborating with on the project another artist um a burlesque artist who was a trump supporter like not just a republican but like a full-on trump supporter who i found out later was engaged i believe is now married to a prominent member of the proud boys well that's horrible but here's the thing. She was, to be completely fair, awesome to work with. She mm. was very bright. She was very talented. She was very creative. She was fun to hang out with. And she was, you know, she had she had been, like, essentially blacklisted from the burlesque scene in New York City and, like, the performing arts scene in New York City because of her beliefs and... You know, I can understand feeling uncomfortable working with someone, but like they, like they were doxing her. They were like disseminating her private information. Like people were coming to her house, and like that isn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with I don't with what she would support. But in a professional situation, she was okay to work with, and you said she was great to work with. She was. If she doesn't bring that to to the arena, then I have personally. I have problems with canceling someone or firing someone because of personal beliefs because it runs and it also both just ways, like, you know? It's not, I mean, if I had, if had I known those things about her prior to the project, I might've been like, oh, you know, maybe it's not the best idea, but it's like, it was, this was someone, and you know, my friend who I worked with, you know, is, he's gay, liberal, like, you know, not a Trumpy at all. And I was like, if he trusts her you know in spite of everything else because they had worked together before they had like a good rapport and a good relationship and i was like i you know who am i to police someone else's friendship like we can say what we want about ellen degeneres and there's a lot to say about her but like i don't begrudge ellen degeneres for being friends with george w bush like that's i hate a lot of things George W. Bush did, but I still don't know him as a human being, and it's not my place well, to police someone. he was an idiot, someone's... and he was manipulated. That's... I, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying, like... He was, a, he was pretty stupid. So when stupid. you say, like, when, you know, where where is the line when it comes to, like, professional, you know, who how much is who you are a, as a professional related to who you are as you know, yeah, outside of I, I don't think Rachelle and the other like, thing either. Like apparently her producers were were mean, and I'm like I I'm sh- I'm not shocked because it's a million dollar TV show. They're all making millions of dollars. And you have to make it perfect. I, it's a high pressure environment. I don't understand how you expect people to be nice in a high pressure environment. Like I especially I the kind of person who's making millions of dollars, like anybody who's making millions of dollars is an asshole because to be the kind of person who is trying to manipulate capitalism to make themselves rich, and if that's their priority, I, I am not going to be shocked that they these people are assholes. Or, or politicians like Amy Klobuchar got, you know, slapped on the wrist because she was mad. I was like, this is high-pressure... These are high-pressure jobs full of egomaniacs. I am I am not surprised that people 
aren't aren't very nice. And like these are just the the only reason we hear about showbiz and politics is because these are all public, public jobs. Eye. Yeah, these are all in the public eye. Whereas I've heard stories of my friends who work in corporate America. Yeah, th- there's much worse that goes behind. But retail. But you sign like, all these MDAs. Like it is far worse. In all these other places. And I don't know that it's worse. I just think it's not... It's, it's comparable. It's not as... You know, here's why... Here, Here's where, like, the issue of... Or the, the topic of transparency comes in. Oh, yes. Please bring it back to topic. Because... That's because always good. Because if you're... Like, when you think back to, you know, the 70s or 80s or any, any age before the internet, we did not have access to celebrities the way that we do now. And that was better. It doesn't mean that we weren't as interested. um, And it didn't even necessarily mean that these celebrities weren't interested in sharing more. Mm. But it just wasn't done. Like, remember in the early 2000s or the the late 90s when LiveJournal came out and people were writing all these think pieces like, why are people putting their personal thoughts on the internet? Oh, clutch my pearls. And now it's like, it's it's just expected. You're like you're weird if you don't. Yeah, there's a lot of older celebrities that aren't on social media like Jennifer at all. Jennifer Aniston is not, I think, on any platform. Well, she shouldn't be. Like she's already made it. She has millions of dollars. Why should she subject herself to this shit? Like I have mad respect for anyone who decides not to platform themselves. Sure. Like but, you know, it's you know, you have that level of control and it can it can kind of go one way or the other. Like people's opinions of you can dramatically change for the better or for the worse. I, I, I think, think if it's you a, have a, if more you have often a platform, for the worse. <laughs> I no, I don't Even, agree. No don't matter agree. well good. That's like, why we're here having a discussion. But it, no matter what you say Half the people are going to agree with you and half the people are going to hate you for it. So it's better to just not say anything. I don't think it's that, like, black and white, though. Because it depends on who you are and what you're talking about. I I, I mean, I don't think... You know, it's true that, like, if you have a global platform, yeah, there's going to be people who say all kinds of things and interpret it all kinds of ways. But that's true, like, anyway. I think it's, in a lot of ways, it can be a... It can be a gift. I mean, this is just how I see it. This is just me. But well, that's I'm not why like, you're on the podcast. We're here for your not, opinion. Because I'm not yes. like, I, and I'm not putting myself in you know the category of Jennifer Aniston or anybody like mega mega famous. But no, neither anytime, one of us are mega famous. Just for the record, any any time I have said something semi publicly, even just on Facebook, and. You know, I'll have a friend reach out to me and say, you know, that was kind of on, like, on the racist side. And, like, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm like, it is? How is it? Or, you know, it's, like, on the transphobic side. And I'm like, why? And, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be their job to explain it. But because they know me and they see me as, like, somebody that they think is worth investing their emotional energy in, then I can learn. Right. And that's a gift that they give me. So it's not necessarily about, like, them hating me. You know, somebody who doesn't know me might just judge me and hate me and write me off forever. I'm but, sure they do. But, like, if you're, you know, if you care about if you care about people and you care about doing the right thing, I mean, like, what's the point of having a global platform to connect everybody if we can't learn from each other? And that necessarily means holding ourselves accountable for when we fuck up. Right, I understand, but in my opinion, if you didn't mean it as racist, then it's not racist because it's. But then in it your to, mind, but then it comes to the the question of intent versus impact. Right. Well, so if someone says this came out wrong, then you can apologize for it and you can amend it. But if your intent was not malicious, then. I think that you have to give these people some slack because not everybody sees everything the same way and everyone is a little bit racist or a lot bit racist. And, you know, society has 
drilled in all these be, norms in our mind, it's not an easy thing to just snap your fingers and say, societal norms have changed. And then if someone says, had something from 20 years ago, then they'd be like, we don't like this person anymore because 20 years ago they said something that wouldn't fly today. That's where right. I think it goes too far. But I think, I think um, when you say like societal norms of change, like I don't, I, I think our understanding of one another has changed because, largely because of the internet, because we have access to all of these different perspectives that we might have been insulated from in a pre-internet world. Like, I'll use my mom as an example. Um, hi, mom, if you're listening. So my mom... I hope she is. My hi, Ashley's mom. My mom is, like, the nicest person on the planet, like, the greatest human being I have ever known. And she's from a tiny town so in So I'm only nowhere. second. I yes. got it. <laughs> Just sorry, kidding. not sorry. <laughs> I'm not the nicest person. <laughs> no, it's... but, But it's like... You know, she grew up in this tiny town in the middle of nowhere where I am now living. And there is a big difference between people who left that town at some point in their lives and people who did not. Because this is this is how remote this town is. So we didn't have cell service there until 2015. Oh my gosh. And even now, we only have Verizon. That's the only choice we have. Verizon has a monopoly on, like, the entire North Country, um, which is fine. Verizon's great. But, and then we didn't have... Sponsored by Verizon. Like, there, there are just people there who are so backwards in their thinking because, you know, not necessarily because they are bad people, but because they just have not had the context to think beyond their own backyard. Right. Well, I think that's and common in that all now. areas of the world. Absolutely. And, we, you know, so when I say transparency culture, you know, it's not about like, oh, we all hate each other more now because it's not just about that. You know, we talk more about the things that annoy us, and the things that make us mad. But, you know, we also gain an appreciation for people that we might not have paid attention to before. We we gain an appreciation for, you know, something that they do outside of the thing that we know them for. Like, look at Ashton Kutcher. Look at all the cool shit he does. Like, Really? I have <laughs> He not, does a lot of cool shit. Doesn't, I have not heard that name in so long. I don't know that he's well, still you around. See, exactly. There's, there's my point. Exactly. Or also, actually... Um, From that 70s show? Yeah, yeah. Is he still doing anything? I I mean, I don't know what he's doing acting-wise, but he does, like, he does, like, global environmental charity, like, humanitarian charity stuff. He's, oh, like, I didn't he's know like that. Mr. He's like Mr. Charitable. And Keanu Reeves, too. All right, so charity stuff definitely helps, but let's get back to topic. Uh, so if someone does something, what what do you think the road to redemption looks like? Like, Charity stuff helps. I think the role, the road to redemption, is just being a good person in general. <laughs> like, right, but because if people, it's it's like I said, you know, because anybody can make a mistake. Anybody can say something that's sexist or racist or ableist or you know, you know, you're you're a product of your environment as much as anybody else. But you should, you know, if you're the kind of person who cares more about doing the right thing. And then about being right and looking right, people will, you know, people who know you will understand that. And people who see, you know, people will vouch for that. Well, that's helpful. I don't know. It's it's tough times. So then if someone did something 20 years ago, uh, what do you think the process should be? It depends on what it is. Like, it, like it, there's no one answer for every situation or every scenario. But I, I want one answer. If you raped someone 20 years ago, uh, yeah, you. I, I don't want to work with a rapist. I'm right. sorry. Well, that like, again, it's, to me, is that's the like, criminal line. If you've done something criminal, but then there's a statute of limitation within the law. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was... I don't know if you saw... Um, did you see the Ren and Stimpy documentary? No. That was a fascinating watch. And this is this is... This is this is I think where the line is. I never is really between... watched that show. I'm a little too you old. You were a little old. Yeah, this yeah. is like the line between millennial and exennial. Yes, I was not I never really watched Ren and Stimpy. I watched Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, that was 
Yeah, you would. That's a little, a little old older. for you, and a little yeah. All right. But you know, so so Ren and Stimpy, one of the most influential cartoons of all time. Even if you haven't watched it, like if you do watch it, you'll be like, oh, this influenced SpongeBob. This influenced. Fairly Odd Parents. This influenced like all of these things. Like you'll see the. I haven't seen in other any things. of those shows. No, I guess you wouldn't have. You're missing out though. I watched Gummy Bears. <laughs> that was a good show. Oh my gosh, Gummy Bears! I have I ever watched Gummy Bears? Gummy Bears <laughs> bouncing here and there and everywhere. Fine adventures better beyond compare. Yeah. These are the gummy bears. See, this is the difference between the millennial, the elder millennial and the exennial. Yes. Like, that's where the line is. That's the line is drawn <laughs> in the at line. gummy bears. That was a great show. Um, What was I saying, though? Oh, so the guy who created Brendan Stimpy, like one of the original creators, is a terrible human being. Well, that's he was sad. he was awful to work with, and he had he had a long standing relationship. He was in his late thirties, and he like groomed this fourteen fifteen year old girl to be his live in girlfriend for years. And there were apparently like several others like that, and they they were almost done with the documentary about Ren and Stimpy that didn't really mention that part, and then. Um, the people who were victims of his came like came forward about it and they were like, oh, you know, we should probably get them in to talk about this. Right. And, and you know, it got to the point where, you know, this guy was fired from his own show. Like, that's how awful he was to work with. And it mm-hmm. was just, it was, it was fascinating to watch this documentary because all of these people spoke so highly of his creative ability, and they all spoke so highly of the the process of getting to work on this show, which was not like anything that was happening in, certainly not children's television at that point in time, and they were so excited to be a part of it, and they loved the character so much. Like, Vanessa Coffey from Nickelodeon was, like, hugging a little plush of Stimpy while she was, like, crying, talking about it, and I was just like, you know, that's... You know, the real tragedy is that, like, it's not, you know, none of that is enough if you're a terrible person. (laughs) I don't know. See, the other side of this, the argument would be you take what the product is and you divorce it from the person. I think, you know, you can do that in certain contexts. Like, I've... Do you think William Shakespeare was a really nice person? He might have been an asshole. We'll never know. We'll never know. I think Papa Picasso was not a nice person, but still his art is still valued. Well, there's also, like, there's a difference between nice and, like, problematic and criminal. Like, those are all different things. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think criminal is where I draw the line, as I've said multiple times on this podcast. Like, I think I'm a good person. I don't think I'm a nice person. Mm. I think sometimes, well, a lot of times, I am very blunt and straightforward, and, you know, I think I'm giving people information that they need, and they might need it, but they might not be emotionally prepared to hear it. And that's, you know, that's, that's on me. That's me not being as nice as I could be. It doesn't well, mean I'm, like, bad to, or wrong. Right. <laughs> I think it's good to be able to say how you're feeling at a given uh, given time. I would never argue with that. But it's, it is, it's a very fine line, I think. And, you know, I think you can still enjoy the show and just try to dismiss. But it's, it's weird. When it's criminal, it's harder to dismiss it. I agree. But, like, I think for today's standards... It's good to have a very clear, like, this is what our standards are now, and anyone who doesn't step up to the plate now, that's different, I think, than if it's 20 years ago or 30 years ago when there wasn't such a clear, unless it's well, criminal. Again, if it's criminal, there's it's very hard to defend criminal behavior. Well, here's, well, here's the other thing. Like, I, I feel bad were, for defense attorneys because it's a hard were, job. Things that were wrong 20 years ago were still wrong at that time. Right. It just might not have been, 
you know, that there's, there's, there's more of a margin of error when it comes to innocent ignorance. And there's more of a mm. margin of error when it comes to the possibility of accountability on a larger scale. That's true. I, you're very smart, Ashley. That's why you're on my podcast. Oh, thank you. I, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. It's uh, People might not be thinking in terms of, you know, how 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 is this going to look if millions of people know about it? Like, that wasn't something people were thinking about. And I think, you know, being able to, like, stop and think about that, like, you know, what if... You know, it, it, you know, you might feel the same way you feel about something, but then you might not when you think, oh, you know, do I really want, you know, is this something that I would be willing to do with millions of people knowing that I did it? Well, like that changes your perspective on something. Well, people are going to get away with whatever they can get away with, but the, it, irregardless of the type of behavior, like if people can get away with it, they will do it, even if they're told not to. Like if you have a yeah, sign that says for Halloween Maybe. candy only take one and no one is watching, you're going to take two or three, right? If you see other people start to take two or three, you're going to take three or four, you're going to take five, and then you're going to have that one jerk who just dumps the whole bowl into their bag. And that is an analogy, I think. Of course, the kinds of behavior we're talking about is, you know, more... More consequential. Yeah, that, but it's the same... I think it's the same concept, like... People are going to get away with whatever they can get away with. So there's a lot more accountability now. And then you were trying to retroactively apply it. And that's understandable. Uh, but it's like, it's very hard, especially uh, in situations that become he said, she said, I think. Like, how do you, how do you figure out which is what really happened is probably somewhere in the middle and both their perspectives are probably, unless it's criminal. When it's criminal, it's wrong. I'm just going to keep just, saying that. It, it, I mean, it's just funny that you keep saying criminal because that's like, my red line. When actually, I think, when I think of like, like I'll, I'll give you another personal example. Yes, Again, please. Not naming names. This is someone I'm still really good I'll, friends I'll with. I'll name more names Somebody, for you: Carol Burnett, uh, Stephen Sondheim, Patty Lapone. I name okay. more names so you don't have to. Okay, thank you. So, um. When I was in high school, um, I went to a party with a bunch of, you know, my theater friends, and we were not, like, wild kids at all. Like, they, like, she had, like, the friends whose house it was at, like, her parents were so chill. They were like, hey, guys, you know, it's it's almost midnight. Would you like a little bit of champagne? It's okay if you drink it. We're just like, no, it's fine. Like, <laughs> we were those kinds of kids. Um, but uh, we got to a point where um, a friend of mine started getting very, like, handsy, physical with me. And I didn't like him that way, but I didn't say no either. I kind of felt like I was a bad friend if I didn't at least, like, give it a chance. So, like, there, it was a very, very fuzzy situation but I, I you know I walked out of it feeling like I, I felt really bad and I felt really icky and I felt really violated and I was like well was I violated if I didn't say no because you know this this was we weren't having these conversations about explicit enthusiastic consent like we weren't we just weren't having those conversations and I think like he knew that it was wrong and but we never spoke of it again like, never, ever, ever again. Fast forward to 2018, when Kavanaugh was on trial. And this was many, many years later. And we had, like, we had moved on. We were, like, still friends. Like, nothing else had happened. We just never spoke of it. And he reached out to me, and he was like, Ashley, um, I really want to talk to you about something sensitive from our past. And I was like, I already know what you're going to say. And I want you to know that I forgive you. I know that that incident is not indicative of the person that you are now. And I don't blame you to the extent that I blame the culture we grew up in that didn't teach us better how to handle that situation. And we actually, we had a really nice conversation about it. And he was like, you know, regardless, 
I want you to know that, you know, because he, he was he was scared to talk about it because he was like, of course he, he had, was terrified. He come, yeah. Well, he had come. He had he had he had really like come out in very very loud, staunch support of of women who were coming forward and you know victims of sexual assault and like you know holding himself accountable for participating in culture that contributes to these things. And you know, he said, you know, I I can't I I can't be this person and not address this with you. It would be wrong. Like, I don't know if you suppressed it. I, I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I know I, I expected it. I was kind of expecting it from him. Cause I just had a feeling like he's going to want to talk about it at some point. And, and we just, we had a good conversation about it. And I was like, you know, I don't, you know, it, it was, it was a fuzzy situation and we were not taught how to handle it. We were not having those conversations. We were not really having those conversations even in health class. And it's not like we grew up in like a conservative, you know, abstinence only church town. We grew up in Westchester. It was pretty liberal. We had a good sex education, but you know, still the power dynamic between men and women was not as discussed. The power dynamic between like like somebody who wants to go farther than somebody else like that that just that it just wasn't discussed and we didn't really have a context for discussing it so after that happened we just didn't and then we did and now we are having those conversations with the up and coming generation we are having these conversations with each other and we are realizing that you know we handled some shit badly when we were younger, but it's like, he didn't, he didn't get up there and be like, oh, you know, I like beer. Like he, like he didn't double down on, you know, he didn't deny it, but he didn't like double down on it either. He said, this is what I did. It was wrong. And I want to get right with you about that. Like, I'm not asking for your forgiveness. I just want you to know that, it was wrong and I'm sorry. And then he's like, I don't expect anything from you in return. But you know, we ended up having like just a really good conversation about it and about like, and about the nuances of it. So it's like, you know, it, what it comes back to is when somebody who's noteworthy has an incident like that, that comes to light, it's not just about them. It has an impact, like, I mean, certainly Kavanaugh in particular had a huge ripple effect on the way people were thinking about their own lives and their own actions. And you saw some defensiveness from people and you saw some guilt from people. But I think, you know, guilt's, guilt can be productive if you use it to you know, contribute more to the conversation to build, like, to build upon our collective understanding of topics like this. I've talked a lot. Say no, I'm <laughs> like, just letting you talk. I, I think that like, was, I, I agree. I think um, the key is, is education and communication. And uh, the more education we can have on how to be communicative, is very important uh, because men and women are so different in the way they process information and the way they behave. And some of that is biological and some of that is societal. And do you really think that like it's yeah. more, do you think it's, do you think it's, it's ha significantly I, like biological though? I think there's a lot that's biological. Yes, I do. I, I just, uh, being with women the way they see and think of things like women are way more conscientious and are constantly being like, how would this affect the other person? Because we have to be men so. are never like that because we have to be because the expectations are different. So you think that's societal? Absolutely. Well, that could be societal then. And I was having actually, this is a, this is a conversation we have a lot in the autistic community, particularly autistic women and non-binary people because autistic women tend to be diagnosed a lot later. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20, 
And it was like, it was a complete shock to me. I was like, autistic, like, that's not me. Like, I, I, you know, I thought I knew what autism was. You know, my cousin's, my cousin's young son is autistic. Well, he was young at the time. And I, I was, you know, he's who I thought of. He was like a, he, he talked late. He, you know, was, you know, he had meltdowns. He couldn't really use his words. He had all this nervous energy and like, you know, and I was like, that wasn't me. I was the opposite of that. But what I realized is, you know, we have that stereotype in mind when it comes to autism and the girls and women who are diagnosed later, a lot of times it's said, oh, they have more of a male brain. Mm. But when you think about what that really means, the hallmark of autism that I think all of us have in common is we are wired to care less about social constructs than other people. You know, I was saying before, like, you know, a lot of times I'm not very nice if I speak my mind, even if I think I'm doing something helpful for somebody, it might come across as brash or rude because I'm not saying it in a way that respects the other person's emotional capacity to receive that information or not, because that's not something I am naturally good at. And that's common with autistic people. But it's also seen as more of a male trait than a female trait. Mm. And then when you think about it, what is femininity in general? What is female presentation but a set of social constructs that are largely arbitrary? Like, I, I was telling you before how I got laser hair treatment. Like, I don't have to shave. I don't have to. But I do. Because I, I want to. But, like... Who, who says, like, who's who's to say that, like, women should shave? Well, that's society. Exactly. That's 100% but that's, society. But that's just one example. It's, like, our participation in, like, ritual, like, not, not just stereotypically feminine rituals, but stereotypically feminine conversation traits, like, the way that we carry ourselves in conversation. You know, the expectations are different for us because they just have to be and the reason women are diagnosed as autistic later than boys and men is because we are quote unquote better at masking because we have to be because you're female because we're women exactly i agree no i think there's a lot of societal as i said societal there are definitely some biological things just between testosterone and estrogen i think there are definitely some that are biological, yes. Because like women, what? what do you think? Like w- women can get pregnant, so biologically they have to worry a lot more about that sort of thing. Whereas the men, I think, have uh, men just want to stick it in somewhere, and I think women, <laughs> as uh, just because of, I think it's it's kind of you have to be more cautious when something's being stuck in you. Right? So that's a biological thing. (laughs) It's like, you have to be, you have to, it's easier to stick than get stuck. That's what I'm saying. So I think there's, there are a few things that stem from that. And testosterone, I think, makes you more aggressive. Not that women can't be like that. But I think that the biological drive that men are more assholes comes a lot of that comes from testosterone well you know there is something to that and if a man has a high estrogen level he probably behaves differently than if he's very testosterone heavy well when you think about when women are the most emotional and have the shortest temper it's when they're on their period and their testosterone is the highest that's what i'm saying i think there's and then the cycles of women have that biological cycle men have some sort of biological cycle, but it's definitely not as pronounced. So I that, should, I should, I should be fair to say that, like when we speak of men and women, we're speaking like in terms of biological sexes, not necessarily gender identities, but like people who have periods you. and people who do not. Thank you. That's like, ve- that's very woke of you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, we can't make assumptions about our audience anymore. We can't well, like assume a gender binary on everybody anymore. Like you can. It's the but, the question is should we or should we not but that's a topic for a different day i am very happy that we have developed such a flexible understanding of gender 
Well, you're saying we, like, you mean the woke progressive people. No, I, I mean like the world is, in general. The other 85% of the world doesn't think in these terms. That's not true, though. Like, yes, there's a lot like, of people do who know, don't think about no, like, this like sort of Native, thing. Native Americans in particular, they have like, they have tons of different gender identities. They, there are lots of Native tribes, Indigenous American tribes that raise their children essentially genderless and they have, they kind of pick their own gender identity as, and it's not always based on their genitals. Well, I think that's great. I think we should definitely be like that. I'm just saying most of the white European slash Americans have older views on this sort of thing. I think a lot of the stuff that America drills into us is horrible, but then a good 40% of the country really buys into this horrible yeah. American stereotype way of thinking. Yes. Wow. Where is the, where is the time <laughs> where going? Where is the time going? So what is your hope for a future, future culture? Where should we be trying to get? Um, honestly, and maybe this is just, maybe I'm just less cynical than you are. But yes, you're I definitely think, less cynical than I am. I think we, I, you know, I am excited for the future of like a flattened earth, so to speak. I am grateful for the knowledge that I've accumulated and the empathy that has grown inside of me because of the internet and because of what it's exposed me to and where it's, and you know, how it's fed my curiosity about the human experience. Like that's a major reason why I became an actor in the first place, because I find human beings fascinating. And I don't know how anybody couldn't want to know everything they that, that is to be known about human nature and human interactions and sociology. So I just, my hope for a future culture is one where everyone values that and where people value curiosity and learning and evolving more than they value looking woke or being right about everything. Like you should want to be a better person, not just look like a better person. I do think a lot of people just try to look like a better person. For sure, yeah. Yes, I, I don't. I just say this, <laughs> I is, know you don't. this is the kind of person I am, and uh, you can live with it. But I do try to get better, but I don't feel the need to, like, Well, there's a difference between getting broadcasting better and looking, it. yeah. I yeah. don't need to be like, look at me, look I'm at me trying so hard am, to yeah. be better. I, I would like to be better because I'm a good person. But right. I, as I said, I think there are a lot of people who don't care to be better. And that's where a lot of this culture war comes from, is the people who want to strive to be better and the people who are, they they don't want to because they, they have other problems to worry about. So they're, they're trying to put food on their table maybe and they're not so concerned with all this other stuff, which for better or worse, well, that's, that's just how you know, they I are. Think, I think you brought up a good point, though, and this Thank is something. You. And this is something that I try to talk about a lot when it comes to, particularly, autism and disability advocacy. You know, people say, "Oh, you know, you're a high functioning autistic." Well, like, why the hell would I not be high functioning? I am a cisgendered white woman who grew up in Westchester. I had. You know, a two-parent household, they're, they're divorced now, but that notwithstanding. I had every advantage in life. And so, you know, I was able to go to a good school, go to a good college, pursue my dreams, you know, ha have a, a life full of richness and diversity of experiences. And I've never wanted for anything like I was like, I, I'm 34 years old and I'm able to live with my mom right now um, and work from home like that. You know, you can say what you want about that, but I'm so lucky that I get to do that. So why wouldn't I be high functioning? Why wouldn't I be in a position where I have the capacity to care about other people because my position on Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know, I have the basics taken care of. I don't need to worry about putting food on my table. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to worry about feeding my cats even. I can, you know, they're fine. But 
you know, when my needs are taken care of, so why would I not be able to devote more of my energy to other people and understanding other people? But I think, yeah, when your basic needs are not being met or when you have to fight harder to have them met, you're not, you know, it's not necessarily that you don't want to be better or don't want to try to be better, but you just don't have the energy. You don't have the capacity. And that's something we have to keep in mind when we're having these conversations too. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of it is economical. Uh, a lot of it is education. And so I think it's great that there is so much, like so many shows on Netflix with so many different perspectives. I think that the, as I say in my book, the one good thing about the younger generation is they're just so accepting of all this stuff that, you know, my generation, we're mostly there, uh, not all quite there. And then, of course, older generations, uh, they're just, when you've spent 60, 70 years living one way, I think it's it's hard for them, but for these these new this generation alpha, I, I have I have high hopes for them and what they will do uh, with the world. All right. So on that note, that's awfully optimistic for you. Yes, like I I tried to end it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a nice optimistic way this this week. No, you're very fair. I like that. Okay. Thank you. All right. So closing questions, Ashley. Uh, what is a time a millennial annoyed you? Or you can do Gen Z if you prefer. But Gen Z doesn't really annoy me. Like, Gen Z is fascinates me. I love Gen Z. I love, like, teenagers of, of this generation. I think, you know, if they annoy me at all, their understanding of the world is broader and more diverse, but they're still just teenagers. Like, they don't quite have the context, like the life context and the trajectory to understand that like the way things are is not the way things always have been. Yes, the lack of historical context. And it's not like they don't have the context cognitively, but it's like their, their world can't quite accept it. Their world isn't, you know... You know, we can go. We can go back to Ellen. You know, Ellen's not a perfect person, but when if you were not alive in the '90s to see what it meant for her to be a lesbian in the public eye, I mean, that was such a pivotal moment for the gay community and and women and the lesbian community in particular, and. You know, kids these days, you know, they're they're out in middle school. Yeah, she lost and her job. She lost her show. Her sitcom was canceled. That's what, it, that's what it used to mean to yeah. be clear in public. So, you know, you can judge her all you want for her current behavior, and you should. Like, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but, you know, you can't just, like, ignore the context of her entire life and what you are able to do now because people like her did it first. Exactly. I think of actually, and it's, and people who are not as famous either. Like I think of, I think of like the first, this is going to sound so hilarious because like now I work in theater. I haven't like seen a straight person in weeks, but my first quote, my first gay peer was my friend Anna who came out to me. It was a friend of mine from music camp because of course, and she lived in a different state, so we had, you know, that instant messenger relationship. And I think she came out to me because I was... I mean, I, I kind of suspected, but I didn't want to, like, make her feel uncomfortable and say something that, like, would freak her out about it. But I think she just suspected that, A, I would be accepting and understanding, and B, I was far enough away physically that you know, my knowledge wasn't going to have an impact on her day-to-day existence in a, you know, a potentially problematic way. But I remember when she told me, you know, I didn't think of her any differently. I was like, okay, cool. Good for you. You're gay. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to say anything, you know, unless, you know, until you're ready, you know, do. But at the same time, I did other her in a way because I was thinking, oh my God, I finally know a gay person in real life. (laughs) 
which is just ridiculous. Like someone my own age, but we didn't have, we didn't have like queer icons for kids. Like when JoJo Siwa came out this year, you know, seventeen years old. This you know TikTok, Instagram, social media. YouTube I don't star. know who this is. She was a she was a she was a kid from Dance Moms who is now like a pop star. I don't know what that is for like either. Nickelodeon. I don't know. Well, anyway, she's 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 a massive Gen Z star, and she came out and as as queer and has a girlfriend, and she was basically like universally embraced and accepted. And like we did not have the equivalent of that when we were growing up, which wasn't that long ago. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of that long ago, final question. Final Uh, question. What advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? Um, Yes, you can. Thank you, Obama. Yes. I love this succinct (laughs) advice. All right, that's advice for everyone out there. Yes. Yes, you can. Well, thank you, Ashley. This has been super fun. This has been super fun. Yes, uh, we made it through. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Next week, I have my friend Lindsay Green, and she is going to talk about her dissertation on plantation vacations. What? Yes. So people actually uh, go to resorts that used to be slave plantations, and they actually get married there. And it's crazy. She's doing a whole, uh, her, her PhD dissertation on it. And I've read it. It's great. It's That sounds fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating... This is the serious section of this season, is these two episodes here. Uh, so you'll hear me next time right here on Millennials Are Running the World? Question mark, an examinal perspective. Real conversations bridging the gap between generations X and Y. I'm not woke, but I'm awake. Millennials are ruining the world. An exanial perspective.